I knew I loved you before I met you. I think I, think I, I think saw that you that in my dreams. I was before I met you. Who's that by? I have a boy been waiting band? all It's um, isn't it like um, it's not Oasis, is it? No, it's not that. It's um. No. Oasis, you're my wonder wall. And so many, baby, I have so many songs to the one that saves me. I gotta add these all to our playlist that nobody listens to. You know what? Podcasts like no one's listening. <laughs> Don't I already do it? <laughs> you do. I... You really live up to that. Oh my God. Koa today. Gold this is standard. what he said that was so fucking funny. I got new sunglasses and I put them on and he looked at me. I have them on right now. And he looked at me and he goes, you look like a singer. <laughs> <laughs> Which is only funny because I heard sinner. <laughs> you look, you like, look a like a sinner. sinner. Both of them work. I love I that. I have no idea. Where's you learning this shit? Yeah. By the way, we have to give some shout outs today. There is something that is on its way to us in the mail that I am so fucking excited, excited about. Like, but I'm we excited. don't have ma- For the record, we don't get mail. Period. We I get bills. You don't get- I get I get they charities who know my information and send really sad things to my in mail. They often. they do that often. But we don't normally get mail from our dear readers and let me tell you this is going to be a really good one. <laughs> there is a package coming that I can't fucking wait. So here's the skinny, y'all. There's this woman, Heather. She has an Etsy store called Bella Dia Creates. And on it, she has made truly darkly creepy tumblers. <laughs> They're so cool. They're unbelievably cool. You can get a 20 liter. You can get a, th- a liter. A liter? It's so- <laughs> you can get 20 pounds of coffee. You can coffee. get a wagon you can get a- of, of water holders. <laughs> What's the ounce? Is it like 20 milliliters or 20, li- 20 milliliters? I don't know. I don't know amount. 20 ounces? Yes. That's it. Fluid ounces. You can get a 20 ounce. You can get a 30 ounce. <laughs> you can get 100 liters. I think she'll do anything you want. You can get a Custom small order it. caravan of just water. Money is power. Money is like, power. Live your Tell dreams. her how many liters you want. She'll do it. Um, sorry, Heather. That's probably not true. But um, we're trying to get you. We're trying to get you into the big leader business. So you guys know that we wish we had the energy to like figure out a merch situation and we Queen talk a, really a lot about it already she's a good idea that she told me yes we talk a lot about it but we don't do it and here's what's cool our dear reader jamie asked heather to make her this tumbler and now heather's selling them on her really cool etsy store so you can have merch and that's where you should go you should go to belladia creations and get this tumbler ours are in the mail we're gonna drink from them every fucking single time every we time podcast. you're gonna hear us go on the straw it's gonna be so good so excited um, there's a raccoon on it for any of our dear readers. Yeah, there's a bunch of like cool little moments from jokes. the podcast. They're so cool. Yeah. I'm so excited. Me too. <laughs> we love you, Heather. We love you. You know who else we love? Our new Patreon subscribers. Oh. Jen. Double N Jen. Double N Jen? Yeah, Aaliyah. Aaliyah. 
Oh, and let's um let's circle back. We got to circle back. We got to Ciara, who no, I also sometimes Kira. call Kira, just because that's how you say it. Listen, we should have put two and two together. She's from Ireland. I understand. We don't. I'm not good at those names. And feel better soon to Mamela Pamela, who's been sick. She's on the mend. Won't say uh, what's going on, Mamela but I will Pamela, let you know. Sending you all the health vibes. And if you guys uh, want to be in the cool club, it's called <laughs> Patreon. Patreon. You hear about it every week. Why Just not? join Just it. Just join but, it. What's, but what are you Kira, waiting for? What are you waiting with... for? What do you want from me? Jennifer Love Hewitt spinning in a field is yelling at you and wants to know what's the holdup. I am going to tell you the craziest story. You want to jump right in? Well, here's why. Let me explain why I want to jump in. Because the story I'm going to tell you today, I want to proceed it with another story that is a story that links to a character in the story. Like, I have a real life association with someone that's going to play a major role in the story. So I want to tell my real life story as a segue to go into my truly darkly creepily story. By the way, you're listening to truly darkly creepily. I am Quinlan Posner. I am Carrie Ipema. And this is a podcast. podcast. Here we go. <laughs> Proud of that one. What you didn't know is there was dancing. There, there was, was dancing. It, it. it was a visual medium that we just did, which is lost on you. Maybe one day we'll do an actual recording of us making the pie. Uh, we're going to do a behind the music of Why making the pie. Why else do I have these lashes? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Listen, it's a long story, so I'm going to do on. my two stories. I got to stand? Essentially, it's two stories. All right. Stretch. Stretch it out. Get comfortable. Get comfortable. Okay, so here's my first story I'm going to tell you. That's from the life of one Quinlan Poster. (laughs) I, it's like the year 2012, and I'm going to a wedding. Okay. And my friend rented a house in Hyannis because they're getting married uh, on the Cape. And we all stayed in this house. There was maybe eight of us staying in this house together. And it was a great week. They have a great mall on the Cape and we went to the mall and we went to the forever 21 there and the forever 21 there knows that what's in the Cape, that it's in the Cape and that it's all rich people. So it sells things like knockoff Versace clothes. So we bought these leggings. My friend Lydia bought these leggings that are a knockoff Versace pattern that have like gold chains on them or something. They're like meant to look like, I don't know. So she's wearing these hilarious uh, $3 leggings that, like, are pretend rich people leggings. <laughs> we were, like, having a great time trying to pretend that we belonged in Hyannis all week. A bunch of our friends are staying in a nearby hotel, and we're all hanging out at the house in the yard in Hyannis. We're all in the yard. We're laughing. We're grilling. We're having uh, some fucking... What's the beer we're Cisco Brewery, uh, Whale's Pale Tail, something beers. Whale Tail, yeah. Um, And we had been joking because we stayed there all week in this house. Uh, They don't let you rent for like a couple nights. They want to make sure you got the money to stay. So they're like, probably have like a, you have to rent it for a week kind of vibe. Interesting. Yeah, because they don't want any riffraff in Hyannis. I've never been to Hyannis, but. Well, here's what you should know. It also spelled Hyannis. It's the home of the Kennedy compound. So it's fancy. Oh, yeah. Oh, the Kennedy compounds in Hyannis. And we knew that. So we had been joking all week about like, should we we 
so we were like, let's bike around and see if we can find the Kennedys. And we're like kidding around about it all week. Meanwhile, not meanwhile, but adjacent to, we're hanging out at this party in the yard. And a dog runs into the yard, like a lost dog. And we're like, whose dog is this? And we're playing with the dog and we're kind of like, it has a collar on it. So we're like, we should really figure out whose dog this is and return it because they're probably missing their pooch. And they're, yeah, extremely wealthy people that are, I don't know, scary because they're rich. So let's get this dog back to them. We go and look at the dog's collar. You're not, what, what does this collar say his name is? Kennedy. Something like Rex Kennedy. On the collar. And I start laughing because I said, well, you know that it's somebody that lives in Hyannisport and thinks this is funny. Like to name their, to give their dog the last name Kennedy, you know? Yeah. But I'm like, there's no way. It has a phone number on it, this collar. There's no way this dog is a Kennedy. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't even look like a Kennedy. But. Was it a golden retriever? It was a, a kind of a. Maybe some kind of spaniel. Of course it was. I don't know. We call the phone number. This guy picks up and it goes, Bobby Kennedy. What? Bobby Kennedy is how he picks up the phone. Bobby Kennedy. And we're like, um, um. And you guys are shit-faced um, at this point. We're drunk in this yard. And we're like, we have your dog. Your dog is in our yard. This is where the house is. And he's like, oh, great, I'll swing by and get it. We hang up and lose our minds because we're like, first of all, that's not Bobby Kennedy. There's no way we have Bobby Kennedy's dog in our yard. Bobby Kennedy died. Bobby Kennedy Jr. Yeah. Okay. But sure. Yes. Robert Kennedy is dead at the time. Has been assassinated. We're like, there's no way, though, that. Okay. Also, if you're if you're RFK Jr., Right. You send the maid to go get the dog, right? Maybe the Kennys are more relatable relatable than we give them credit for. (laughs) (laughs) More relate. Well, turns out they are. Because who shows up? Bobby Kennedy Jr.? To this yard in Hyannisport. Shows up to get his dog. Shows up and we're like, all, hey. And he's walking around this party. In this yard, there's like, I don't know, 15 of us. He's walking around shaking everybody's hand going, Bobby Kennedy, Bobby (laughs) Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy. And we're all shaking his hand, like laughing hysterically. And we're like, here's your dog. And he's like, what are you guys doing here for the week? And we're like, oh, our friend's getting married. We're losing our minds. You have to be. And I'm like, can I have my picture with you? And he's like, sure thing, sure thing. No. Got a picture of me with Bobby. You have a picture of me I with have Bobby. to because this is happening and you're saying to yourself, no, no one's going to ever me. believe this story. So you have to get a picture. He kind of uh, chats for a while and then is like, I got to go. He's about to leave and he just turns to the group of us and he goes, I'm going to go um, take my kids out on, on the boat. Any of you want to come? What? I could probably take uh, three of you. Wait, what? Who raised their hand first? You Barry? did. You better believe my hand shot up like (laughs) lightning. Me, my friend Cass, my friend Lydia are like, we we will go to this boat. We will go with you. We get in Bobby Kennedy's damn car with him. What the And the dog. And we drive to the outside of the Kennedy Compound? compound. On the way, we realize a couple of things. And we're like texting each other in the car. Like each other. 
Oh, and Lydia texts me, oh my God, Connor's coming. And I'm like, Con- Connor is Bobby Kennedy's son. Yeah. Connor is notoriously at that time dating Taylor Swift. So we're like, where is Taylor going to be on the boat? Like, what's going on? She was there that week and we knew that. We knew that because we're like following the tabloids and we're like, Taylor's around. Like, is she going to be on the boat? And we show up. And Connor and Kira, Bobby Kennedy's two, two of his kids, his older kids, come out of the house. We get out of the car and Bobby's like, where's Taylor? And Connor's like, she went to go get tacos. And we're like, cool. <laughs> we're losing our minds. This we walk with Bobby so Kennedy fucking weird, and Quinn. his kids and one of their friends to a dock and we get on a boat with them. He's like, do any of you want a water ski? And I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm good. Didn't bring a a suit. And Kira turns to Lydia and is like, cool pants. (laughs) Lydia's like, thanks. Like, she probably thinks they're Versace. Like, they're they're Forever 21 pants. We're like, kids could not be nicer. Bobby (laughs) Kennedy could not be nicer. Why is he hanging out with us? I don't know. But he, his kids take turns water skiing off the back of this boat that we're on and he is driving the boat like he's trying to kill them it was <laughs> crazy he's like driving super fast i mean maybe i'm just have like the kennedy curse in my mind but i was like you know who you are right sir you, you are aware of your last name like this is making me extremely nervous and he's like driving really fast and she's flying And we're getting close to other boats. And I'm like, please, please no Kennedys die today. And he's chatting with us. He couldn't be nicer. He said to me at one point, what do you do? I said, I'm an actor. He's like, but my girlfriend is too, actually. And I'm in my head like, yeah, that's Cheryl Hines from Curb Your Enthusiasm. I'm aware that your girlfriend's an actor. We're not the same kind of actor, sir. (laughs) She's doing a little better than I am. But, uh, you know, he's very, very chill, very chill. So we end up getting back uh, ashore, and he's like, do you want to come hang out at the house? And uh, the house being the Kennedy Kennedy compound. And I'm like... You guys clearly made a great impression. Here's the thing. We're loads of fun to hang with, but we're like, we can't. And we basically said to him, like, we'd love nothing more. But our friends at this point, sir, are probably very mad at us because we raised our hands aggressively and left them at a party to go hang out with the Kennedys like they're not going to be they're not going to like us that much and then if we make this an even longer situation we're just in the weeds with them so we were like we have to go back and hang out with our friends and he's like okay maybe you guys want to come by later give me your phone number Lydia gives Bobby Kennedy her number we go back to the house all our friends are as you can imagine a little bit mad at us. Why though? Ah, because only three people could be in the boat. I don't know. <sighs> they're not like mad, like annoying mad. They're mad. They're, they're the right amount of mad. Okay. Okay. So we're like having beers and being like, you guys aren't going to believe this. We went out on this boat and it was crazy. And, and, uh, well, maybe, you know, he has a, we switch numbers with him. He has our number. Maybe he'll call us. And they're like, yeah, Bobby Kennedy's going to call us. He has nothing better to do but call this group of losers that are drinking beer in the backyard, wearing Forever 21 pants, pretending to be rich kids. Like, it was so bizarre. We end up getting a text message from 
Bobby Bobby. Kennedy. The text says, hey, this is Bobby. What's going on? And so Lydia's like, cool. Hey, Bobby. And he's like, do you, do you want to come over to the house tonight? And she's like, sure. Can I bring some friends? And he's like, yeah, bring whoever you want. And then that turns to, well, there's like 15 of us. Can I bring like 15 people? And he's like, sure. <gasps> so that night, a group of 15 of us walk over to the Kennedy compound and hang out on the roof with him. We're all just drinking beer on the roof and there's bodyguards everywhere. And like, at one point we're on the roof and I'm like, I have to pee. And he's like, great. uh, Thomas can show you where the bathroom is. And like a bodyguard shows me where the bathroom is. It was so insane, Carrie. Then we just hung out on the roof and he would point to places on the compound and be like, I remember the night of the election, my Aunt Jackie walking across that, like the stories he's telling. You you can't even... Why is he doing that? Why? You, you gotta ask the question the a little world, bit. Was he hanging out with us? It must be really lonely. Like any famous person is lonely, I, I imagine. Just, you got, like I remember the only... The, okay, this story pales into comparison, but I one time had breakfast with Mike Myers at four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> That's a story I'll go into a later, but you're all, it was so cool. He bought us all, we went to Bubby's in Soho. We were at the, we were at like, um, we were at South's really late. It was four in the morning. We were going to get mac and cheese from, uh, you know, Bubby's. And we asked if he wanted to come with, he came with, and we were talking about his time at SNL and how it was awful that Michael Myers and Mike Myers came out at the same time. He's like, as soon as I got any sort of success, there was a serial killer with my name. So that was a real bummer. So but at the same time, it was so cool. But you go, why are you hanging out with me? <laughs> why are you hanging out with yeah, us? I don't know. Like, I I did just get the feeling that I think for one thing, it was nice for him to have people around that maybe were or not. Normal. Yeah, like normal vibes. Yeah. Just like it's like fun for us to be like, let's hang out with someone that has royalty vibes. Because the Kennedys are fucking <laughs> royalty. royalty. Let's be clear. But he That's was a like crazy story. He's just because like, a dog wandered in your backyard, and, the whole, and then we were joking later because he had so much fun with us and wanted us around. We ended up kind of postulating that maybe he, he lets the dog like he goes around looking for fun parties, and then he like releases his dog into the party, and then like hides around the corner and waits for you to call so that he can befriend you. Do you think his <laughs> kids were annoyed? It was like, Dad, we wanted to go no, on the boat with you. his kids were so nice. They were both so nice to us. Connor and Kira, they were asking a lot of questions, um, acted like it was super normal we were coming with them, and they just could not have been nicer. Wild. C- but completely bizarre. Could you imagine your family ever inviting just strangers? My family would never. No, mine would not My family neither. would never ask. My, uh, my, my family, family doesn't even want me along for the rap. <laughs> my family is incredibly social, but they're not just going to pick up riffraff. We have those spots filled, fulfilled. We're not picking up strangers. Well, g- guys, trust me. When this episode comes out, I will provide you... With the photo. An amazing photo of me and, and Bobby in the yard. I can't wait to see it. I also did this really creepy thing that I'm embarrassed about that I will tell you, which was that while we were on the boat... <laughs> I weirdly took sneaky pictures with my phone. 
but I'm not going to share them because it's of the kids and I didn't have permission and that feels dirty and weird. Totally. It's also a really shitty photo because I was so scared that I was just like holding my phone in my lap trying to take random photos the whole time like a psycho. <laughs> like, But I was like, this is so crazy this is happening. <laughs> That's an, I can't believe you've never told me that story before. Neither can I. But I told you that story because my story is of the murder of Martha Moxley this week. And RFK Jr. is going to come into play. <sighs> okay. I got my information from the New York Times, the New York Post, Wikipedia, The Atlantic, The Hartford Current, Stanford Advocate, Connecticut Post, CNN, and a three-part series called Murder and Justice, The Case of Martha Moxley. I you got for obsessed it. with this. You really went in. I did because... Dear readers, don't is, get used to this amount of research. Please don't. Sometimes <laughs> a case just pulls us in. Totally. And maybe it's just how well I know Bobby that... Um, this case really pulled me in. So let's start out with the family, the Skakels. They are Skakels. You'd think that I would know how to pronounce it. You, I don't think anyone would think that. <laughs> I don't think anyone would think, yeah, Quinlan knows how to pronounce Sk- those names. Let's start out with the family, the Skakels. They're a rich family. They live in Greenwich, Connecticut, where rich people live, and they have kind of a interesting relationship with the Kennedys. Um, some would call it a sort of love-hate. The Skakels Aunt Ethel married Robert Kennedy in 1950. So... Robert Kennedy Jr.? No. Senior. Gotcha. So that would make RFK Jr. sort of more of a cousin figure okay. to the kids in this house. The household of the Skakels is a pretty dysfunctional home. One of the Skakel sons says of the house that it was rife with chronic illness, alcoholism, and a repressive Catholic moral and sexual outlook. My people. Does, doesn't sound. <laughs> My yes. people. Okay, Catholic. Loads Hi. of laughs. Let's all go to therapy together. The okay. house is already sort of a chaotic atmosphere and kind of like lawless and crazy. The dad's an alcoholic and kind of lets the kids run everything this just gets worse because the matriarch their mother dies of cancer in 73 so then it gets just really out of hand it's sad and it's really out of hand rushton is the father in the house he doesn't sound like a real warm guy there's seven children and at the time of what at the time of my story in 75 we've got rushton jr 19 julie 18 Thomas, 17, John, 16, Michael, 15, David, 11, Stephen is nine. There are so many kids. There's too many kids to remember. You're not going to have to remember all of them. Most of our story is going to be featuring the characters of Michael, 15, and Thomas, 17, two of the middle kids. Michael is not doing great in school. He has dyslexia that's gone undiagnosed. It won't be diagnosed till he's 26. Michael was uh, treated sort of as the runt of the family and was the... Uh, target of his father's anger a lot of the time. He sometimes slept in a closet to try to not have his dad find him. Oh, no. And one time when he was young, they were hunting and his dad shot a gun in his direction, probably just to scare him. I don't think he was trying to kill him, but they didn't have a good relationship. When he was 10, his dad catches him looking at a Playboy magazine and beats him up. 
he but he's pretty serious about that sex stuff um rushton is by age 13 michael becomes an alcoholic like his father and he's drinking a lot when he's just a young kid so already when we meet him in this story at age 15 he's had a lot of he's lost his mom and his dad's really hard on him and he's drinking a lot they're given just a ton of money and no rules these kids and that's not how you make people feel loved let's begin the story on october 30th 1975 Rushton, the father figure, has gone away on a hunting trip, and the kids have been left with their tutor, 23-year-old Kenneth Littleton, who had just been hired. Literally, it's his first day on the job. He takes the older kids out to dinner, and he'll later tell the police that at dinner, each of the kids, who again, the older kids are between ages 15 and 19, each of the kids had a beer at dinner, (laughs) which seems like so insane. But what's more insane is Thomas, who's 17, is like, "Mm, no, we didn't each have a beer. We had a lot of drinks at dinner and some were just uh, hard liquor. Yeah. While they're at dinner, meanwhile, nearby, Martha Moxley, who is their neighbor a few houses down and is 15 years old. She is the daughter of some rich parents. Same neighborhood. She asked her mom, can I go out tonight? Because it's mischief night. It's the night before Halloween, which in this town, they call it mischief night. It's what you think. They're going to run around and whatever. Silly paper. Silly, silly string toilet paper. Yeah. The works. If you lived with Brianna Posner, every night was mischief night. So it means nothing to me. <laughs> but she's like, please, can I go out? Please, can I go out? And her mom's like, no, you are grounded because of some other shit you already pulled. And she's like, but it's mischief night. And her mom's finally like, okay. Oh, no. You can go out. Be home, though, by 930. So she goes to hang out at the Skakel's house. They just got home from dinner. And she'd pretty recently, according to her diary, started hanging out with Tom and Michael. And Tom likes her. It's not really clear she likes him back. Her diary makes it sound like she doesn't. It sounds like he was trying to hook up with her and she wasn't really into it. But both brothers do have a crush on her, Michael and Tom. Right. So the Skakels got back from their booze-filled dinner at like 8.45. Michael and Tom are going to hang out with Martha and some neighborhood kids, Martha's friend Helen and this kid Jeffrey. They sit in the driveway in the Lincoln, which the kids called the Lustmobile, and they listen to music. Okay. Martha's sitting in between the two brothers. Oh, dear. Thomas keeps, like, putting his hand on her leg, and she keeps kind of pushing it off. But I don't know if that's just because she's in front of people, is shy, or what their deal is. At around 9.30, uh, Rushton Jr. and John, the older brothers, come out of the house, and they're like, hey, we're going to drive to another house 20 minutes away, North Greenwich, where we're going to watch Monty Python's Flying Circus. Michael goes with them and is like, Martha, do you want to come? And she's like, no, my curfew's super soon. I don't want to come. He leaves. Helen and Jeff leave. As they're leaving, the last thing they see is Tom and Martha kind of kissing and goofing around in the driveway. So I think they're like, let's leave these two lovebirds alone. Mm -hmm. But it's already 930. Not good. Because guess what time her curfew is? 9.30. Yeah, get home, girl. So her mom gets mad because it's 9.30 and she doesn't come home. But then it gets way later. And as a mom, she gets less and less mad, more and more scared. She ends up in the middle of the night, essentially, calling Helen. And Helen tells her, 
Hmm. Not to be confused with Helen Keller. Just sound like that. I think that's the only Helen Keller joke you're also allowed Helen to make. Helen tells her. Helen, Helen tells her. She was at the Skakels, but then she left her alone there with Tom. The next day, she's still not home, and it's Halloween. Her body is found. No. On her own estate, like 200 feet from her door. She's kind of partly hidden by a pine tree, and oh, she's been God. bludgeoned and stabbed <gasps> with a golf club. Like, beaten with the golf club, and then the golf club snapped in half and became sharp, and they no. whoever did it stabbed her in the throat <gasps> with it. Oh. But it's missing the handle. The part that, has that this... maybe would have, like, fingerprints yeah. on it is missing. Her pants and underwear are pulled down. But judging from everything I read about the crime, she was not sexually assaulted. The autopsy is not totally, like, concrete when she died. But I read that the police determined it took place around maybe 10. So Thomas Skakel was the last person to see her alive. He says that what happened is right after the friends left, she went home. He went inside he ends up watching a movie that night with Kenneth, the new tutor. He writes a paper on Abe Lincoln. The paper's a little weird. None of his teachers say that he had a paper on Abe Lincoln or ever saw the paper on Abe Lincoln. So that's like, who were you writing that paper for? And that's a weird lie to tell if it's a lie. The thing about the golf club is that the brand is super fancy and it's the same brand as the Skakels Golf Clubs. And it was a six iron used to kill her. The and they're iron. missing the six iron. Pretty obviously their golf club. The thing is, if you talk to a lot of people, it sounds like golf clubs and things like that were left around the property outside all the time. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't necessarily mean the golf club was taken from someone that night that was in the house. It could have been already on the property, which I think is an important Distinction. I do. In the months after this murder, Thomas will submit to a bunch of interviews and lie detector tests. Look, you guys know that I think lie detector tests are baby shower games, so I don't even feel like we need to necessarily talk about the results. But they were really open with the police. The dad rushed in, tells them, you can take DNA samples from my kids. You can get their medical records, their psych records, whatever you want. Like, he wants it cleared up as well. Um they, with the family's permission, they drain the pool. They take soil samples. Rushton is so interested in actually exonerating Tom at this point that he's like, I'm going to do my own investigation. And he hires PIs to look into it. And all his kids undergo psychological testing and they get hypnotized. They get injected with sodium uh, pentothal, which is like... Just takes your like barriers down. Totally. But he's really trying to solve it as well. And, of course, the people that he's hired at this point are like, it wasn't Tom, which he's very excited to be like, look, police, it's not Tom. No one's charged, though. Nothing happens for a really, really long time. In 1978, Michael's now 18. It's three years later, and he gets arrested for drunk driving. In order to not have to see any criminal charges, the Skakel family sends him away to this fancy boarding school, a lawn school in Poland, Maine. Um, 
where they're going to help him with his alcoholism. And it's one of those schools that is like, I don't know how to characterize it. Like those wilderness schools where like they basically. Where they kidnap you in the middle of the night and are like, I say, sir. And I just heard reports on those recently and they're fucking dark and not okay. They're not okay. It's exactly what you're picturing then. It's not okay. It's a thing where they do really scary intimidation and humiliation tactics with the kids. And they do weird things like pit the kids against each other to try to get them to tattle on each other. They do things like try to get, get you to admit to the collateral. It's a like sort of like being in a very violent cult that you didn't ask to be in. Paris Hilton actually just did a testimony about one of these schools that she went to or one of these programs where she was a troubled kid and... Well, he survives going to this school and he actually gets sober in his 20s and gets super into skiing and competes and goes to the 1992 Winter Olympics. And in 91, the year before the Olympics, he gets married. He has a son. Michael's life moves on. Later on, though, there's a guy that writes a book, Murder in Greenwich, Who Killed Martha Moxley? Spoiler, this guy thinks... Michael did. And the sort of thrux of his argument about uh, Michael having done it goes back to his time at this Elan school. Michael himself, when he was pitching a book, talks about how he was made to wear a sign at school that said something like, ask me why I killed my friend Martha. So that just sounds like a really crazy thing that the school did to him. And when we talk about humiliation tactics, that seems in line with that. But there's other kids that come forward from the school that say, oh, in a group therapy session, he admitted he killed Martha. And he said, I'm going to get away with murder because I'm a Kennedy. Doesn't sound like something anyone would say. The guy that owns this school is denying any of these things have occurred. But he's also denying it partly because he probably just doesn't want anyone looking in the direction of his school because his school is a nightmare death trap. It is Hunger Games, this school. It is kids turned against kids to the death. And there's things I read about that were that Michael was made to go into like a makeshift boxing ring and kids tried to beat a confession out of him that he did this murder. So if he did confess to it at any point in the school, I've got a lot of doubts surrounding that confession. Also, the kids were just made to hate each other. In 1993... One of Rushton's PIs, one of the dad's private investigators he hired, is his name is Jim Murphy. And he's working with um, a New York City police lieutenant. And they interview Tom and Michael, who were closest to Martha and there that night. Their stories in 1993 will completely change from what they told the police that night. In 75. Right. I mean, here's the thing. It's been a long time, and they're also adults now. Tom says that he and Martha hooked up on the lawn, and then she left. He originally, in 75, didn't talk about them hooking up, just said he didn't know what happened, and she went home. So the information about them hooking up doesn't come out till 93. Right. Did, why did he withhold it? He says that he withheld it because his dad, remember, was so crazy about sex stuff. Yeah. His dad was crazy. He he said things like that masturbation was the equivalent to the slaughter of millions of potential Christians. <laughs> Feels like, um, poor. But this, poor every twelve year old, 
16-year-old kid. Yeah. But this guy, Jim <laughs> Murphy, that was there when Tom talks about him and Martha hooking up, says that Tom started getting really teary and that it seemed like he was going to confess to a murder. And then his attorney arrived and the interview was shut down and then he, Jim got fired. So he's like, I think Thomas did it. Okay. Michael's story changes too, though. His story is, remember, he went away with his cousins to watch Monty Python. Yes, he did that. Then he had just said that he went home and went to bed. But in 93, he's like, okay, here's what really happened. I went to go watch Monty Python. I came back at around 1120. I had was stoned. I was drunk. And I walked to Martha's property to peep on her. Like, I climbed a tree outside her Michael house. Michael did? Yes. I climbed a tree outside her house. Remember, he has a crush on yeah. her. And I saw her light was on. And I thought it was her room, but I couldn't see in. And then he tries something I think we can all agree is pretty brave. He tries to masturbate in the tree. He does it for a few minutes and then gets really embarrassed. <laughs> Stops. Climbs down. Okay. On his way home, he says he sensed a presence in the bushes, but he's just scared, so he just runs home. But he never sees her in her bedroom. No. But then is that he the gets tree home, that she's... and the door is locked, and he climbs in his own window to go to bed at, like, 1230 in the morning. But he does not tell this story right away. Here's the thing. When this was all happening and he changed his story, Jay Leno joked about it and said, um, well... Many people would rather be found guilty of murder than be suspected of masturbating in a tree. And I don't think that for a 15-year-old, that doesn't that's a joke, but it doesn't sound off to me. Right. You're right. 15. You're not telling the world that you I drunkenly climbed a tree and masturbated in it. But it sounds like a something off. a 15-year-old masturbated, you see jerked off. But a 15-year-old would do that. Would lie. Another reason they think Michael might say that he was masturbating in the tree is that a lot of people that are on team Michael did it think that what he was trying to do was account for any of his DNA being on the property. Right. Being like, well, I was in this tree masturbating. What's weird, though, is the tree he was in masturbating was really, really far away from where her body was found on the property. It's an estate. It's a big property. It wasn't like he masturbated above her dead body. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Totally. They didn't find his DNA on her property. Like, it sounds like they exhausted... They didn't. Exa- right. It sounds like they, they exhausted all of the resources. Well, so it's let peculiar. me tell you what happened. We know what happened? Oh, I know a bunch. I'm halfway done, girl. Wow, wow. keep going. Um, I told you it was long. In 1998, there's an after an 18-month investigation, a grand jury says, look, there's enough evidence to charge Michael. So he's arraigned for murder in a juvenile court since he was 15 when this happened. And when he's arraigned, he goes up to Dorothy, Martha's mom, and he says, I feel your pain, but you've got the wrong guy. At this hearing, the judge will say, I think we can try him as an adult. And his trial begins in 2002. Remember his alibi that he's at the cousin's house? Mm-hmm. Okay. So they don't call to testify the one person not related to him that was there as his alibi. So that damages, I think, the case. Also during the trial, the jury will hear this audio from the book proposal Michael made. So when Michael proposes this book, he talks about this night and masturbating in the tree. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. And he says something about, they say, what happened when you heard Martha had been killed? And he says, well, I panicked because I thought I was going to be found out that I was jerking off in a tree. Right. And I was mortified. What the prosecution does is they cut just the first part where he says, I panicked. I was panicked. I thought I was going to be found out. They only play that audio. Not only that, they kind of make a PowerPoint presentation situation where they put that audio, they flash it on the screen, each word in like bigger and bigger red letters over images of Of Martha's body. So you're looking at her body hearing his voice say, I'm panicked. I thought I'm going to be found out. How is that legal? It's so manipulative. It's absolutely bonkers. It sounds like a confession. So in 2002, he's fucking found guilty and sentenced to 20 years to life. He appeals it. And his lawyers are like, there's a million grounds that we're appealing it on. What I just spoke to you about, plus they said that he, they had, uh, the prosecution inflamed the jury by referring to him as a spoiled brat. And he should have been tried as a juvenile, all these things. In 2003, Bobby Kennedy Jr. writes this very controversial uh, article, and it gets published in The Atlantic, and it's called A Miscarriage of Justice. And he pretty easily, in the article, debunks why these kids from Milan school said what they said. Mm -hmm. I'll go with that um, and and why they might have fabricated it. But what he really does in this article is he presents a case of why the police should have looked harder at Kenneth Littleton, the tutor that had just been hired. Now, he talks in the article about I understand that you might think I'm just doing this because this is my cousin. We went to AA together. He was one of the guys that helped me get sober. But our relationship's complicated. We were estranged for a few years. Michael actually got really stressed out because of all these allegations and sort of blamed the Kennedys and gave me the cold shoulder for a while. He wouldn't even talk to me when I went to court to watch some of these proceedings. And he said, bottom line, and this is a quote from him, I support him not out of misguided family loyalty, but because I am certain he's innocent. Now, he doesn't say, I know that this other guy did it, Kenneth Littleton. His main point is, look, there's a fuckload more evidence pointing to him than there is to Michael. First of all, the day this happened was his first day on the job, which is weird. A lot of people say his behavior completely changed after her death. After Martha dies, he gets drunk, wraps his car around a tree, and gets fired by Rushton. So he no longer works for the family. He ends up, uh, and he had been a pretty buttoned up guy, he ends up moving to Nantucket and he starts to like, you know, not comb his hair and like wear his shirt open with a shark tooth tooth necklace, that yeah. kind of look. Yeah. And he starts to get drunk all over the island of Nantucket and go on kind of a crazy crime spree, like a bunch of robberies. He sort of assaults a police officer who like knocks into the girl he's dancing with. Um, he ends up climbing in some woman's window in the middle of the night and she wakes up with him like naked on top of her. Lots of bad behavior. So he gets convicted and the Greenwich police call the Nantucket police when this happens, when he's in jail. 
and they make an offer to reduce his felony charge to a misdemeanor if he'll submit to one of those truth serum tests, Mm -hmm. uh, sodium amytal, about the Moxley murder. Kenneth's like, no, I'd rather plead guilty to a felony. Sort of weird, right? It ends his teaching career, ends his coaching career that this happens. There's a lot on the line, this felony. And he does that instead. Um, And after that happens, he moves to Florida, which seems like an obvious mistake. Um, And he again, he's getting in trouble for all this weird shit, trespassing and drunk driving and public intoxication and shoplifting. All right. Still not murder. Very different. But then his crimes get kookier. He like climbs a building and gives us gives a an RFK speech and says when he gets arrested I'm Kenneth Kennedy I'm the black sheep of the family totally weird he gets married he's moving around but he's not settling into his life um and he sort of gets obsessed with the idea that he'll take this test the sodium whatever test the yeah. truth test and he starts telling his wife all the time that he should do it like You know, he should, like, put this in the past and put this whole thing to bed. He gets crazier. He drinks himself into basically insanity. And in 84, he starts telling everybody he's Kenneth Kennedy. And he says that he can cause a tornado by flushing a toilet. He starts to do things like eat money. Okay. Drink toilet water. Ooh. Leave golf clubs at synagogues collect JFK matchbooks. So he's off the deep end completely. Totally. And I think we're all troubled by the idea of leaving golf clubs at synagogues. Considering how she we died. know a golf club. Yeah. He's in and out of psych wards for a while. Um, his wife leaves him. He moves in with an exotic dancer named Kimberly and says he wants to come up with a stripping act. He wants to become a male stripper and they'll Mm -hmm. do an act together. And in 91, he's again institutionalized. And that month they go to his ex-wife, Mary Baker, and she's like, he made some weird incriminating statements about the Moxley murder. Um, One thing I do know about that night he didn't tell anybody is that I think he was blackout drunk. So maybe he doesn't know if he did it or not. Um, And maybe not knowing, this is my take on it, maybe not knowing was enough to drive him crazy. They're basically like, listen, do you think he did it? She's like, no, I don't. Can we tape your conversations with him? Yes, you can. She tries to get him to admit stuff on tape, but it doesn't really work at all. He's sort of like not confirming or denying things. Um, And it has a bad vibe to it where she keeps saying full sentences like did this happen and it feels like she's almost trying to implant memories like it doesn't seem fair and it doesn't work is the bottom line and it probably will be thrown out in court anyway if she were to get a confession totally julie skakel uh the sister says that she talked with kenneth littleton that night at 10 in the kitchen that location doesn't match up with anything he's ever said Again, I think he's blackout drunk. I don't think he's deliberately lying. I think he was so drunk, he's like, I don't know what happened. But some weird things were seen. Like, Julie said he had changed out of the shirt he wore at dinner into a sweatshirt. There was a security guard on the property that said he saw a 200-pound, six-foot man near the Moxley yard at the time of the murder. That definitely does not match Michael Michael. or Thomas. Right. Um, And then they, they do a 
sketch based on what the security guard thought he saw, and it looks like Kenneth Littleton. The day after the murder, the Scapels made found laundered dungarees and sneakers in the laundry room, and they weren't the boy's size. They were like Kenneth's size. Then the police fucking lost them, so we don't know anything about that, but it feels like he might have been doing some laundry. Um, the other thing Tom remembers, remember Tom said he watched a movie with Kenneth that night? Yeah. He says Kenneth was under a blanket and it was really hot in there and he was under a blanket the whole time, which seems like weird in retrospect. But Bobby Kennedy Jr. will be like, look, the kids' stories don't even match up with each other. I don't really know what happened that night. I'm just saying they didn't really look into this guy and they decided to pin it on Michael. That doesn't seem right to me. Yeah. Anyway, Littleton, weird life. In 99, he calls Greenwich Time from a hospital, and he says the Kennedy family's trying to kill him. And then shortly after being released from the hospital, he stabs himself a bunch of times in the chest with a kitchen knife. Whether this guy did it or didn't, he was not well the rest of his life. Right. And later he'll come forward and be like, you know what? Like, I don't know what year. Later, though, he comes forward to be like, you know... Right when I got that job, I knew something was weird with Michael. He killed a squirrel, beat a squirrel to death with a golf club. And when I asked him why, he said, because he had to. And it was very scary. And you're like, that doesn't sound like it happened. Weird. Just the more you look into this case, more and more stories come out that you're like, what? Is that true? And you're right. Like, he hasn't murdered anyone. In 2007, Skakel's new attorney tries for a new trial, and they have this theory that involves this guy, Gitano Tony Bryant, Kobe Bryant's cousin. What? Are you serious? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) All right. In an interview with the private investigator that Rushton hired, Bryant, Tony Bryant, was out with two of his friends, and they said they wanted to rape her. They said they wanted to go caveman style on her. And they left and he saw them. He says he saw them the next Monday and they acted like they had. And they're like, why didn't you say this earlier? And he's like, because I'm black. And my mom said, don't come forward to say you were even near the property that night because they'll say you did it. Yeah. There's a two week hearing that presents this evidence. And they're like, look, he could have made this up. New trial denied. Skakel then appeals based on the fact that his uh, attorney, Mickey Sherman, was incompetent. He did a bunch of stuff that was shitty. He didn't let, like, certain people... He didn't get certain people to testify uh, that were important. I also can't believe he didn't after the, like... He didn't play the full context of the video of that book. Like, there's so many things you could have... He allowed on the jury for there to be a policeman. He allowed on the jury for there to be somebody who admitted to having a mutual friend with the Moxley family. He didn't counter uh, the testimony about Michael's whereabouts. Like, he didn't... They said they couldn't prove the whereabouts, and he definitely could have. Um, He was also really, like, fame-hungry and awkwardly, like, posing for the jury and the TV crews. He was in it for the wrong reasons, and he acted a little like a ding-dong, is basically what Michael ends up saying. And he does actually get a new trial. Good. They rule that Michael Sherman failed to adequately represent him. So in 2013, Michael's released on $1.2 million bond. He has to wear GPS. Bobby Kennedy Jr. releases a book called Framed, 
why Michael Skakel spent over a decade in prison for a murder he didn't commit. And he talks about generally the mishandling of evidence, that there was no vaginal swabs, that the handle of the golf club had hairs on it that they didn't test, the misuse and mishandling of evidence a lot. And he really goes into the Bryant take and basically says it was these two friends of uh, Tony Bryant, Burton Tinsley and Adolph Hasbrook, and they killed her. Now, the problem with him saying this is no one can corroborate it. There's no evidence that puts them there. The other problem is that Tony Bryant refuses to repeat his story under oath. Mm. And it sucks that this book got written if it's not what happened because it really ruined these two men's lives, right? Totally. Um, And Hasbrook says they always blame the black guy. That's what he says upon hearing about Kennedy doing this. And he says that he found out about the book when he was taking a train from the city to work and that he ran into the bathroom at Grand Central and threw up because he just knew it was going to ruin his life. And it probably still will ruin his life because rights to this book were optioned by FX to do a TV series. So... We don't know. There's so some people are like it no was Michael. Second trials some, yet? Exactly. In 2018, the court ruled that that attorney had rendered ineffective assistance, right. and that Skakel didn't have a fair trial. In October 2020, they say we're not going to retry him. Of 51 potential witnesses, 17 are dead. There's no more forensic evidence for us to look at than there was before. Whoa. And. So, and they rule this 45 years to the day after she was murdered. Her but they're like, we're family. not going to take Her Michael to trial again. Family. Yeah, the family. Uh, so the family, let's talk about the family. Dorothy, Dorothy Moxley, Martha's mom, believes to this day that Michael did it. But she says she doesn't care if he goes back to jail. Um, this is a quote from her. I will never forget the day they found him guilty. It gave me all the sense of justice I needed. So today, as of today, the only person that ever served time for killing her was those 10 years Michael served. He's now 61 years old and is free and they're not going to try him again. But there's all these different takes on what might have happened. A lot of people think Tom did it. A lot of people still think Michael did it. A lot of people think Ken Littleton did it. And it'll be interesting to see this FX series if it uh, convinces us that it might have been these two boys with Tony Bryant. God, There's, it's so sad. It's so sad. It's so sad. If you kill someone, just admit it. Can we just agree to just admit it? Oh, just admit it's it. It's just, you're, it, it's very weird to me. The brother angle, the people that think it was Thomas and that he would have let his brother go to jail for it. But, you know, people, I think, really got married to this narrative of a, a rich kid uh, by association, a Kennedy being the person that did this because they thought they could get away with it. Like, that's a very exciting um, storyline for the press to go with. Yeah. And I don't, it doesn't feel right to me. None of it feels right. I don't, the only, uh, it, I, I can't say with certainty I know who it is. Like, I, I don't really have... carry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying I don't have one that looks better than the other. I guess it would have been great if I finished this story. And I was and like, I know like, who did it. the thing. I, I can tell it. you with certainty who did it. Could we be? Wouldn't that be a fun magical power for, to like know who killed someone and then yeah. have to prove it? That's a Fuck good show. Fine. 
fuck being invisible. I want to be able to be like, and I'll tell you who did it and be right. And then like, you'd have like, wouldn't that be a fun crime show if your superpower was, you know, who did it, but you'd have to prove it. Oof. And it'd be procedural. That would actually be great because I think the hardest thing probably about being a detective is... Getting enough evidence to convict. Well, and how beaten down you get when you... and Which is why they always make it look like somebody when it's not that person. Mm -hmm. Because when you start to do so much homework to prove it is that person, and then you find things that... I I run into that while I'm doing research for totally. these. I get married to um some sort of uh, a suspect or, or storytelling I want to do, and when I find things that negate the story I'm excited to tell, I'm tempted to leave them out because they complicate this kind of sexy way I want to tell totally. the story. It's bizarre, and so I totally uh, I understand why we the will human never be impulse. a detective. Or we shouldn't. We'll <laughs> we do you a never, favor. We'll do you all a favor. We're not doing it. We're not. But doing I, it. I do understand the human impulse to want to do that, but it is absolutely terrifying because I you can see where people go to jail all the time for crimes they didn't commit. It's like I love the feeling of crossing off something from my to do list. Like truly, nothing is a greater joy. So I shouldn't be in a place where you ever would feel inclined to rush crossing off a to-do list, like a murder or any crime. Right, right. And I think that um, whoever did this, it seems like they're going to get away with it. It certainly does. It's very upsetting. (sighs) Poor thing. That poor young woman. I mean, she's 15 and she begged her parents to go out on mischief night and like her mom who let her go out like that's what hurts me is like that that first part where she wanted to go out and her mom resisted resisted and said fine and they and they ugh like i can't imagine the guilt she has of letting her go letting her go and i think it's interesting the role bobby kennedy jr's played which is to say he wrote this really long article that shed all this light on ken littleton's wackadoo life and then several years later was like Forget Ken. Let's look at these two guys. And you want to be like, he's just all over the place as long as it wasn't Michael. But I actually think he's... He's he's lost a little credibility by, by switching gears, I think, that quickly. It, that's just the point. Didn't we just decide you should be allowed to switch gears? And that's what keeps innocent people out of, out jail, of jail, is being able to say, if the evidence that comes to light leads you in a new direction, go there. You don't have to say oh, but I already said this. Like, forget the ego. Let's figure out who did the crime. It's complicated. Complicated, but he took you out on a boat. You don't take it for what it is. I mean, as a very, very good friend of, of the Kennedys. Well, just the Kennedys in general. <laughs> the, as a very as good a friend very of the Kennedys. As a very close friend of the Kennedys. Since 2012. So it's been nearly 10 years. You Actually, you've been friends with the Kennedys longer than you've been friends with me. That's accurate. That's incredible. And accurate. I do feel closer to them. And if I had mm-hmm. to choose, I would choose them. And I, I, I'm not offended because I kind of know my place. And as long as I'm adjacent, fine to be under, but I want to be close. Right. I mean, you're not getting on the boat. Let's be clear. So I'm going to go and I'm coming in hot with a story of the Lemp Mansion, which is also kind of a cursed family. <gasps> Themes. So themes, 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 thematic themes, themes, themes. Okay, so I got this information from Wikipedia. 
Legends of America, LempMansion.com, KMOV4. So this mansion is located at 332 DeMennel Place in St. Louis, Missouri. This mansion was owned by the Lemp family, immigrants from Germany who started a beer brewery. It catapulted them into fame and wealth in the um, late 1800s. They built this brewery in 1868. Adam Lemp came from Germany and he had a grocer and then he started selling beer and vinegar and then the beer got really popular. And all around this area, there's caves. So he was able to like brew and brew beer in caves and get ice from the Mississippi. Like it just seemed fucking cool. That so he's like hipstery. <laughs> totally. And they for sure had mustaches and yeah. wore vintage clothes. So it checks. It scans. Adam Lemp has a son, William J. Lemp. This is where it's going to get confusing as well because there's going to be a lot of William Lemps. William J. Lemp Sr., he took over when his father died. He has four kids. Frederick, William Jr., Charles, Edwin, and Elsa. Let it go. They are the first beer to have distribution from coast to coast so they're fucking big they even helped pabst anheuser and bush start up so they feel kind of like the grandfather of all these breweries that we know that are successful is this lemp family so this huge mansion which i mentioned was located at 3322 demental place st louis missouri it constantly it's gone through updates but what was really cool about it is it has tunnels underneath the basement that connect to the caves and they've even taken the caves and turned them into amphitheaters and theaters and bowling alley and a pool how fucking cool is that so cool so i want to go to there you might not so really so the family stumbles on some bad luck. So Frederick, the oldest son, who's the heir of the beer dynasty, he died of heart failure at the age of 28, which is really, really sad. This is when William Lump, his father, just goes into a state of depression. He never fully recovers. It's really awful. He, he's barely seen after the death of his firstborn son. He becomes a recluse. His best friend, Frederick Paps, dies. He becomes even more depressed. February 1904, his son, William Jr., runs upstairs. And when the door is locked, he kicks the door in to find his dad. He shot himself. So William Lemp Jr. takes over. Now, this kid grew up pretty wealthy. Adam Lemp, William Sr.'s father, was a German immigrant, came over. William Lemp Sr., he saw the hard work of his father. So I think there's an appreciation of how much hard work and money, blah, blah, blah. So when he dies, his son, William Jr., grew up with a silver spoon in his mouth. He, he had all of the wealth and privilege that, you know, the generations ahead of him didn't. He married this woman who was known to be like Lily Lavender, or I think that was her name, but something Lavender because she loved Lavender so much that she wore Lavender all the time. Have you ever had lavender gelato? No, but I wonder if it's too florally for me. But yeah, I love... Yeah, it's fun, though. I had a bee's knees latte at this place that I know it was a lavender honey latte, and that was incredible. Yeah. Good. Cafe Madeline does lavender and does rose petal lattes, and they mm. put a little bit of lavender or a little bit of rose petals to garnish it, and I got Matt one a rose petal one and he was drinking it 
and you know it had a lid on it so he couldn't see the rose petals did it freak him out when he fell he goes Gwen I think there's a bunch of little crumpled up paper towel in my latte <laughs> I was like, those are rose petals. Honey, I'm trying to be romantic. <laughs> no, uh, I love a flavored latte. Count me in anytime. Especially day. paper towel. Especially your paper favorite. towel. I like, well, specifically brawny latte. She loved lavender. And lavender is one of my favorite smells. So I feel you, girl. His wife and him, like he had, they both have very lavish lifestyles. So much so that he told his wife she had to shop, like to keep her busy and he gave her a thousand dollar a day quota. By the way, this is 1904, so that's fucking expensive. And he said, if you don't use it, you will not receive a thousand dollars. So she now is incentivized to spend a thousand dollars a day. What? Him and his wife have a child. You guessed it. His name is William Lemp the third. Oh great. <laughs> I know I'm so sorry. There's so many Williams. All we know right now, Frederick, son died. William Sr. died. William Jr., party boy. He had also had a son out of wedlock, an illegitimate son. And there's no paperwork to prove that this is true. But it is said that it might have been either from a sex worker or from a worker at the mansion that he had this child with. There are rumors that this son was hidden in the attic for his entire life. (gasps) The child is supposedly born with Down syndrome. There's an offensive name that I read in some of the reports. I will not repeat it. We will call him Zeke, which is what a tour guide later refers to him as. So Zeke is the child who was born with Down syndrome, who was in an attic or in the basement, but was secluded in the house. Oh, how sad. Eventually, Lavender Lady, she files for divorce. And the proceedings, because it's this famous family, it is all in the drama. People go to the trial to hear of all of the problems. They go through his playboy lifestyle, party boy lifestyle. Lavender Lady almost loses the custody of her son because at the trial, they showed a picture of her smoking a cigarette. What? You could lose your kid for that? Listen, it's the nineteen. It's early nineteen hundreds. They'll fuck that's any why woman I don't over. I think it's the opposite. I would think they don't even like, know smoking's bad. I think that's what's so crazy about it, right? So, in nineteen oh six, a bunch of competitors of the Lemp Brewery combined forces and created the Independent Breweries Company, and they were competing with Lemp Brewery. And again, William Lemp Jr. wasn't really keeping up with the breweries or the Kardashians. And so, by nineteen eleven, the mansion went through some renovations, and they turned it into the brewery proper and then of course prohibition comes in 1919 and the brewery kind of shuts down they're fucked. it's done they're fucked yeah. at the same point all of the family members are already independently wealthy it's really what's sad is that they closed up the plant without any notice to the workers who worked there they came there to work one day and it was just fucking locked so mm. the people that get screwed over are the people that have made them all rich oh, they get no God. notice they shut down In 1920, the youngest sister, Elsa, she has a hard, rocky marriage. She ends up shooting herself like her father. There is one piece of information where they said it was possibly a murder. Sorry, I just, I'm like, why is this story so familiar? And then I realized that I was in a play where I played Elsa. What? I'm not kidding. What and play you know, it was, was it? Called, it, The name of the play was St. Louis Threw a Party and the Whole World Came. And I played Elsa. 
And I remember my last, as you said, Elsa killed herself. I'm like, yeah, she did. Yeah, she shot herself. And I remember, and then I'm like, wait a minute, why do I know that? And then I'm like, oh, I was in this play. I played Elsa. Do you know what's... Yeah, now I know what's going to happen because I know the play. Oh, amazing. Okay, well, I'll go quick. Sorry. No, you're fine. (laughs) I love that. So 1922, um, William also retreated. William Jr. lost his wife, lost his kid. The business is down. He starts becoming a recluse. He retreats from public life. He gets sick, and he does what his family does. He shoots himself and kills himself like his sister and father in the same building as his father. There are two remaining brothers in this family, Charles and Edwin. Both of them stayed away from the business, which was good because I think they understood the issues that it kind of created within the family. William III, William Jr.'s son, he dies tragically of a heart attack at 42. Then Charles, that other brother, he moves back to the mansion, lives with the two servants and the illegitimate child in the attic, and he grows a bit eccentric. He goes a little bit crazy. He develops a morbid fear of germs, has OCD tendencies, wears gloves, obsessively washes his hands. I'm editorializing. He, he grew up during the Spanish influenza situation, so I would assume that there probably is some connection to that. William's illegitimate uh, child dies. Well, Zeke. Zeke dies around the same time that he's going through this maddening thing. Charles is kind of going crazy. When the illegitimate son dies, he is buried in the Lemp family property under just a stone that says Lemp, not a first name. Whoa. Just Lemp. In May 1949, Charles, after going crazy and becoming just more and more eccentric, he also kills himself. He goes to the basement, he shoots his dog, and he goes upstairs and he shoots himself. He leaves a note that says, in case I am found, blame it on no one but me. Charles A. Lemp. What's sad is he shoots the dog in the basement and they see that the dog had crawled up the stairs after the fact. Ooh. Which is really heartbreaking. Why you gotta kill your dog? Edwin is the only brother to not meet a tragic end. He walked away from the family business. He never lived in the mansion. He ended up dying at the age of 90 from natural causes. Incredible. In his will, he ordered all the paintings that the family owned, as well as documents and artifacts to be burned in a bonfire. No one seen again. Did you know that already? No. Oh. I'm not sure what you know or not. No, I don't remember a lot of this stuff because, not to be rude, but like also after Elsa died, I was like backstage Bye. having a cigarette or something, you know? Totally. Um, I was not a, I didn't care. So the Lemp line ended with Edwin. There are no more Lemp family members in circulation. So the there mansion... also was no like creepy kid in the attic in the play. So I did not know that detail of their life. It's really sad. Um, yeah, I can see why anyone that wants to write about them might be like, in order to make this family at all likable, I'm going to have to leave that out. Yeah. And also there's no paperwork, so it's hard to prove. But they interviewed two people who worked in the building and they confirmed that there was a child that lived in the attic for their entire life. Unbelievable. The mansion was sold. It became a boarding house. And that's when people started saying some funny shit started happening. I bet. If there ever there was a place that would be haunted, right? There were knocks. There were footsteps. You know, typical ghost shit noises. Someone is on record saying there are nine identifiable spirits in the house. 
it was converted to a restaurant, which it now is, and I'll get into that later. But when it was being converted, the people who worked there, they saw apparitions. They heard sounds. There were disappearing objects. And a lot of them had that feeling like they were being watched, so much so that some of them just left and never came back. I'm always like, when people leave somewhere and never come back, that to me is the most damning evidence because it's like... Because that is what you would do. Also, it's... <laughs> people's job it's money it's not like this is uncomfortable it's like fuck no not worth it right um after the restaurant itself opened the staff reported that they would see people appear and then disappear they saw glasses float through the air the doors would lock and unlock lights would go on and off and there was a piano that would play music when no one was around it people theorize that all the hauntings are done by the lemp family that the lemp family is haunting that place. The most active locations for haunting experiences are the stairway, the attic, and the basement, which people refer to as the gates of hell. And also of note, those are related and connected to those caves. So the basement is like <gasps> vast. Right. Scary. So scary. So the attic is incredibly haunted, and a tour guide talks about this little boy, Zeke, who she believes is the illegitimate son of William Jr., William Lump Jr., and people have seen this little boy face look out from the street. So there's windows up on the, on the attic that are kind of lower, so they're the height of a child. So if people look up, they see this boy's face in the window watching people in the street. Apparently he's really scared of strangers, so he hides, and it's a restaurant and now uh, an air, like a B&B. So he's known to hide and scurry away from strangers. A tour guide at one point saw a teddy from her house and she brought it over there. They were shooting a movie there. So she was doing an interview with someone and she noticed in the corner of her eyes that bear just started swinging from side to side like somebody was holding it or playing with the bear. Was it Elsa? It was little Zeke. Oh. It was the illegitimate See, I can't son. stop thinking about myself. She talked about how because... Yeah, by yourself. <laughs> and again, there's a woman there who feels like she knows the ghost presence there. She is a tour guide. She also feels very in tune to it all. And she talks about how the little boy is lost. And because he, you know, is he has difficulty understanding how to move Move on. on. And he misses his mother and he's confused and he doesn't know how to do so, how to move on. Um, ghost researchers came in and they put a toy in the attic and they drew um, a circle around it and the next day the toy had moved it was in a different location Um, in the bathroom downstairs it's the first freestanding shower in St. Louis and so it's a room that people can stay in and women report that there's a ghost or that there's someone that watches them when they shower (gasps) and they think it's William Jr. the playboy that like party guy in fact one woman was so convinced she ran out of the shower with a towel on her and she screamed I hope you got an eyeful and she went and she yelled at these two men in the bar nearby and she was like what the fuck is your problem and the bartender was like they never moved right they've been here the whole time wow it's just a fucking peeping time which why ghosts gotta be pervs but they are ghosts are people man mostly male pervs I'm looking for the female ghost who wants to get hers you know um (laughs) right (laughs) truly darkly creepy (laughs) that's what I want that's mine um there's a stinky man 
who's a smelly spirit who we talk about often. There's like smelly ghosts. And apparently to that same tour guide who brought the teddy bear, he yells, get out of my house. And she heard him and she ignored him. And she was like, he was not happy with me. Sounds pretty brave. Totally. William's a ghost yells at me to leave. Sure. Bye. (laughs) I'm out. William Sr., his room at the top, if you remember, that's where he killed himself. If you stay in the room, you can hear someone running up the stairs and kicking on your door, which, if you remember, is how he was found. His son running up the stairs and kicking the door in. I don't like that one. Some reports there are sounds of horses, which is in the parking lot there used to be a place where all the horses lived. It's now a restaurant and in and offers tours both historical and haunted there's also a murder mystery dinner theater there sounds fun sounds like a blast it is um listed as one of the top 10 most haunted places in america and they also have halloween parties (laughs) what a good advertisement you're welcome so that's the story of the lemp mansion i mean the family history wow yeah, so dark. I forgot about all that. I, I mean, can't I remember you did that play. That's it's weird. fucking I'm like, amazing. This is familiar to me. The a family where people just keep killing themselves. Totally. And then I remember knowing it was based on fact, but um, didn't know much more than that. Wow. Thank you for telling that. You're welcome. Thanks for telling your story. It was. Uh, you know what? Dysfunctional families have consequences. Is what I'm learning. Um. Yeah. They don't go unscathed. They- and one of us should do the Kennedy curse. Well, I don't even know how you would cover that. It's yeah, too, like, I think you got to do like one at a time. Yeah, and we got to be careful because also like why are I don't want to I don't want to burn that bridge, you know. Well, because we had okay, so JF <laughs> we have totally JFK had John F Kennedy Jr. and then Robert Kennedy had Robert Kennedy Jr. Kennedy Jr. Recycling names. Let's get original with names, folks. Yeah, you're not in you're not in the junior. I don't mind a junior if it means a lot. Like I guess okay. But when does somebody think their name doesn't mean a lot? Totally. I actually don't mind. Like, my nephew is William because my sister-in-law, the firstborn's William, but they all go by different names. Like, one's, you know, so my nephew's Liam. So I can understand. Like, I do understand tradition, and I, I don't balk at it. I don't. What's interesting is, as a woman, I've never had to compete with a name because no one names their child after themselves unless it's a Gilmore Girls. So... You mean women don't name their kids? Like, you wouldn't name your daughter Quinlan. I probably wouldn't name my daughter Carrie. Right. And the question is, why why do men do that? What is that about? Yeah. I mean, I like naming someone I like to think it's a lack of creativity (laughs) and nothing more. That you're you're like, I know a guy named my name. (laughs) It is mine. It is my strong name. I like the idea of naming someone after a namesake. Like, I like my brother's named after someone important in our family who we lost. It's like that I like to, like, carry on that that person's memories. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, isn't that a Jewish tradition, too? It's like you can't name someone after someone who's alive. Oh, interesting. I think that's I think that's a thing, and I could totally be wrong, but it's like it's really bad luck to name someone who hasn't passed on in your family. It's like kind of like almost a death it's wish. Like, well, now life. there's two of you, and there's only room for one. Well, it's vibes. like we're doing it to remember you, but you're still alive. Scary. 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But I also kind of like that in the Jewish faith, it's not customary to do baby showers. For many reasons, I like that tradition. But more specifically, they're like, it's just bad juju. Like, we don't need, like, don't give us gifts yet. Let's make sure the baby is healthy. And then we accept gifts. Yeah, that seems right. And then you go to the baby then where do you go to play your polygraph? And it's a fun parlor game. It's the best. It's a really great parlor game. We do truth or dare. We do polygraph. I'm going to change my laundry because I'm doing laundry here, folks. Carrie, she's... You know, she's testing the waters. She wants to see. So every time she comes, she's like, this time I'm going to take a nap in your bed. And the next time she'll go do... She's single white femaleing me. And it's really obvious. I don't think she thinks well, it's obvious, I'm, but I'm it, on to her. Okay, well, relax. Uh, just be cool. <laughs> just don't say anything. It's fine. She's going to dye her hair. I'm going to dye my hair. and Mousy brown instead and of blonde. I've already got a group on for 100 lashes. <laughs> Could you imagine me with lashes? Cold blow. Yeah. um, I don't know if it'll work. It could be a little Anna Nicole on you. I think it would be a little too porn star on me. Yeah. (laughs) Why, though? Why do we think that? Blonde. Because you're blonde and buxom? (laughs) Oh. (laughs) If you don't know, dear readers, it's not a visual medium. I am buxom. We both look like models in our own right. I look like a male model. Oh my god, I've never had a more... I got. I modeled last week, dear readers. You probably saw pictures I modeled last week for friends. Gorgeous. I got so much love. love and support from everyone there. It felt really nice. Yeah, maybe you should become a model. People were saying that. <laughs> I don't want to say people what people were, were saying. People were saying that. But I want to say people were mentioning that I should model. When I first moved to New York, a friend was working with a fit model agency and and fit modeling to be clear is not like wow like a go see it's basically like do your measurements fit a certain formula for what clothing at this x size should look like it has nothing to do with how you look it has everything to do with the proportions of your body it's fucking math and i went in and they measured me which is so fucking degrading but it was like, you need to lose an inch here, a half an inch here. Like, it was very specific where you needed to lose inches. But that's so weird because how do you target where the that's the, the fuck... way you can lose weight. And at one point I told them my bra size and they're like, no, you're not that. Okay. Um, and then, uh, so the next day I was like, okay. I was young and unafraid and, well, young and terrified rather. And I was like, okay, yeah, the next day I'll... I'll lose weight. And I decided to drink more water because then you'll eat less. You know what I mean? And it took me one day and I got hungry. And and then I quickly said, nope, you know what? Never mind. Uh, no, I don't want to do this anymore. This is not worth it. It was a quick turnaround. It was a quick turnaround. You would say, wow, Carrie, you don't have much commitment to anything, do you? But need I remind you, we're on 76 podcasts. So you tell me about commitment, Okay. I'm committed to doing the things that keep me alive. alive. Eating. Committed to life. Exactly. And then in death, committed to haunting. 